The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan and attorney Ray Judice. Welcome back to your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. Before I get started, how do folks get a hold of y'all? Hey, I'm easy to find, Ray Judice, 404-964-418. That's my cell number. Right here in Roswell where my law office is, 404-554-8800. My team is always there. Bruce, call me, 404-522-7553. You can email me, bruce at hagan-law.com. Bruce at bikelaw.com is another option. That's how you get a hold of these guys when we talk about topics that resonate with you or that you have questions about reach out and ask those questions get answers get help from either ray or bruce or both for that matter i want to talk to you guys about something that caught my attention because my son at almost 17 year old is on snapchat that's the way of communication my son and his buds and they don't text they don't call they reach out to each other via social media Snapchat being probably the most popular, followed by TikTok and Instagram. There's a bunch of them out there. But this lawsuit specifically is about Snapchat and rewarding teenagers for bad behavior with a thing called a speed filter, Bruce. Yeah, and I don't pretend to know all the ins and outs of Snapchat. Um, By the time I figure it out, the kids will have moved on to something else. But, yeah, the basic concept here is um, that Snapchat created kind of an incentive program for for people to post pictures of themselves uh, and videos of themselves going as fast as they possibly can. So in a car over 100 miles an hour to take a snap of yourself and post it so people will see that, there was a reward system built into this so that you could achieve some sort of Snapchat glory. I don't know. They yeah. give you a virtual trophy or yeah, something right. like that. And it's just something that's silly, right? but yeah, it's silly, right. But it's something to brag about and show your friends. And so the lawsuit came up because all over the country you had high speed crashes that occurred while people were Snapchatting themselves using this speed filter with tragic consequences, not just for the people who were driving using the filter, but for passengers and for people in other vehicles. And so this has led to litigation all over the country that's being. Um, fought very seriously by Snapchat, who says that we didn't do this. We didn't create this problem. It's really not our fault. Right. Initially, they prevailed in many of the lawsuits because the Federal Communications Act gave them sort of broad scope about what they could put out there. But in a very big, important case, a state court of appeals said, no, 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 we're going to let the plaintiffs, meaning the injured parties, the families of the young adults who were killed, their lawsuit can go forward because it's the app that you designed. And I'm sure that in the discovery process, so so you said something that's interesting. When we were kids, I'm, I'm a little bit older than most of the room, but you know, you go down to the pinball parlor at the bowling alley and the high score, you had your name or initials or your, right, right. your street those. name, yeah. right? So young adults don't need much to want to have some recognition or some glory. So they set this up so that who had the highest speed was the, you know, the winner of the day. And like you say, they got some kind of a, a virtual reward. Yeah, but uh, we're in an age too where people compete for the number of likes that they get. That's right. Just, just Images, right. 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 You're so, so whatever it and is. And we have it, influencers, right. which, mm-hmm. which is another crazy thing. So the lawsuit is now saying, you guys at Snapchat, you knew exactly what you were doing. 
You set this up to entice young adults, primarily young men whose brains, quite frankly, aren't formed at age 18, 19. We all drove too fast one time or, even or another. 16. Yeah, 16. Goodness gracious. And you've not only endangered that individual, but as Bruce said, their passengers, right. the innocent folks going to the supermarket through the intersection. And so these lawsuits are going to proceed. And I think it's going to be fascinating to get into the depositions of the engineers, the scientists who designed these apps and see where their blinders are. I mean, were they even sensitive? Maybe they didn't do this intentionally, but it's the natural outflow of what they designed. But were they even thinking about it? I mean, are these just, you know, nerds locked in some basement out Mm -hmm. in in, uh, San Francisco, you know, designing software, and they didn't realize how this could lead to such harm? Right. So then I guess my follow-up question would be, if you are a designer and that's not what you designed the the reward system or the platform to do and people are using it differently and they made their own reward system it seems like there's plausible deniability there well there's going to be some cutoffs the most litigated object in the world is a ladder there's been more lawsuits about ladder design like a ladder that you would climb on the side of your house and if you look at why why the warning about don't stand this on a a ledge you know why it's bolted onto the step (laughs) is because there's been cases where the the warning label peeled off right or three generations later of you know your great-grandson's got the ladder and he falls (laughs) uses it improperly. So I think there's going to be some really significant liability here. And I also think that there is a mood in this country, we talked about it a little bit in the back in the coffee area, of not just our government leaders, but in the general public about how far are we going with technology companies? You know, the U.S., many of the state's attorney generals have just said to, I think it's uh, Instagram, don't make a special Instagram for teenagers. That's not right. That's going to lead to problems, you know, child porn or just people being sexually assaulted right. verbally online and then kidnapped. Right. I mean, so yeah, many of these cases you're start something that way. You're saying it's just going to be for teenagers. Do you really think that that's going to keep away that's right. the, the, the you predators, 40 year old predator yeah. who's pretending to be a teenager with an artificial profile? It, exactly right? so, the opposite. It will um, track them. Correct. So, so a couple of things going on with the Snapchat case, and Ray alluded to it, is that uh, at the first level of defense, the Snap company is saying that you just can't hold us responsible for any of this, right? And, and I know we always like to talk about personal responsibility here, and I'm sure there are listeners who think that, hey, look, ultimately, somebody chose to drive 120 miles an hour, and they've got to be responsible, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Sure. But before they even get to that aspect of things, um, Snap is saying, you can't sue us. We're protected under the Federal Communications Act. And, and basically, they're saying that we're just a vehicle for people to put out content that they create. So imagine the different situation, right? Because here we know this was something developed by Snap uh, designers who put it on there specifically to do this with their unknown hidden prize system. But imagine that somebody just put a tweet on Twitter saying, hey, people, drive as fast as you can and post a picture of it, and I'll give you a prize. And so somebody gets killed and then sues Twitter for allowing this bit of information on their site. That's really what this protection under the Federal Communications Act Mm -hmm. is intended to provide, a third-party communication that's on there, not not something they designed themselves. So what this court finally said was, no, you're not protected by that act. We're not ruling on the merits or the facts of the cases. We're just saying that these cases can go forward. So then you get to the question of, all right, um, is this personal responsibility? Is this foreseeable? And that's something we talked about last week because it it comes up in all of these personal injury cases, you know, is this a harm that's reasonably foreseeable 
for what we set out there. And it goes back to something that Ray and I both learned and, and really every law student at every law school in the country on our first week of classes, we, we learned about a case called the Paul's Graph case in torts class, which is a ridiculous set of facts from the 1920s of somebody who's out at a railroad station waiting for a train to come and another passenger is carrying a bag with fireworks in the bag the bag drops out of their hands the fireworks go off which startles somebody who knocks into a scale which falls over <laughs> and hits this person and hurts them oh wow and, and, and you know it's like a rube goldberg yeah uh, or, or like the game mousetrap yeah, you know? exactly. yeah. Exactly. mrs o'leary's cow that, that burned chicago <laughs> yeah. you know right? so, so that case went all the way to the u.s supreme court and was a famous decision by benjamin cardozo as one of the great supreme court justices and and all law students have to deal with this this issue of what is considered foreseeable, and and we learn the concept of uh, kind of the reasonable, reasonably prudent man, and what somebody might think in that circumstance and how they act. And and so that same concept of foreseeability is going to apply here. Is it foreseeable that if you put out this challenge to your largely teenage audience that people are going to be harmed in this fashion and that you should then be held accountable for the harm that's caused by it. And right. thinking ahead towards the litigation getting into the minds of these engineers, you know, with what they have called now data mining, okay, they know precisely, maybe to the date of births and the hours of birth, as to who their target audience was, which I know is going to be young boys. I mean, it just is. Young, yeah, young yeah, teenage sure. teenage boys who are attracted to speed and attracted to challenge and attracted to, hey, this is my reward. I mean, but going back to the foreseeability issue, and you're right, Bruce, Paul's graph has tormented law students uh, for or eons and law professors you can see them the glint in their eye and the little cheshire cat grin when they say now ladies and gentlemen we're going to talk about an interesting case mm -hmm. and three months later because because <laughs> really you spend three months on that case right uh, but it's, it's no different you know we can make this simple i run a bar and grill i serve a legal product called alcohol beer wine sure. scotch you come to my bar, I have a parking lot, so I know you drove your car here, most likely. I can see through the window. You've got your, you know, F-150 Ford pick-em-up truck right outside. I serve you four beers, but you want seven. I serve you seven. You drive out of my bar, and you kill somebody as a drunk driver. Was it foreseeable that me serving you seven beers over the course of three or four hours could lead to, that, to an accident where sure. someone was hurt? Absolutely. Those are called dram shop cases. You know, we prosecute those. We represent, both of us have represented people in those. I've criminally prosecuted those cases as well. It seems like it would be easy until you start digging down into it, and then all of a sudden it becomes more cloudy, more gray, and more complicated, and that's the beauty of the show, talking through some of these things, because I, I don't believe that on the surface when people hear about a story and they automatically go, oh, that's guilty, or, or it's not guilty, and then you start reading through the facts, and you start going through case studies, and you realize maybe it's not as simple as I thought. Maybe I can't get my education from social media in a quick headline, <laughs> although a lot of people try to do and it And if that I could way. say, you know, uh, in the case that we've been talking about, I believe that the speed at the time of the death, the accident was 123. Well, you know what? I, I hate to be a, a bad guy, but shame on parents that give your 16 or 17 year old a car that can go 123 miles an hour. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that, that's, a, you know, we, I had a four cylinder Gumby Corolla right. <laughs> that I wound up pushing a lot. <laughs> right. Well, the only thing, the only thing I would say about that is though, most cars that are, you know, 2010, 
They all go 120 yeah. miles an hour. Yep. It's, I don't know how fast they were going because it was recorded on yeah, the Snapchat right. filter. Yeah. So, and uh, on the black box in the car. Yeah, which right, we, which talked we talked about. about so. Absolutely. We're talking about technology and how it affects you and your life and the law, specifically here on Your Day in Court with Ray Judice and Bruce Hagen. We'll continue. There's another issue we want to get to, and that is the colonial pipeline that's happening across the eastern seaboard in the southeastern United States, a company based in Alpharetta. What is going on there? How does that work? How much are they losing? How do we track down the people that are causing this? We'll get into the details of that next here on Your Day in Court on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. Your day in court is on Extra 106.3. My name is Tug Cowart, along with Bruce Hagen and Ray Judice. Renowned lawyers here in Atlanta, been working, what, well over 30 years, right? 36 guys? years for me come June. Yeah, Bruce, been around a day or two, right? Yeah, you know, I'm not quite as old as Ray, but it's been more than 30 years of legal experience. <laughs> I've had about 35. <laughs> there you go. There's a new wrinkle in the legal system, and it's attached to our bodies these days. And as I look around the room, we're all wearing Apple Watches or fitness trackers. And how that can be used to help you in a legal case, or it can be used to hurt you because it proves the exact opposite of what you're saying. And I know you guys have run across this, and this probably is becoming more prevalent the more technology becomes integrated in our everyday lives. You were telling me, Bruce, about a case where a woman staged a murder, and her fitness tracker, her technology on her body, is what sold her out. Yeah, and this is becoming a real issue because everybody's got cell phones, right? And cell phones have GPS built into it. Our cell phones spy on us. We know this. The GPS trackers take it, or the fitness trackers are take it even further. Right, right because and you're we, giving them permission and you want that information. We want that information shared. And so because of it, it's out there. And so this is information that can be obtained by legal authorities. The case you're talking about in particular is very interesting because a woman reported a break-in at her house that had occurred let's say at 4 a.m. in which her husband was killed, fending off an attacker, and reports this to the police and in one of the investigators in the course of questioning the wife had a suspicion. The story just didn't seem right. And so asked if 
he could examine both her husband's fitness tracker and hers. She willingly gave it over, which Ray, as a criminal lawyer, would say, first mistake, you should have called your lawyer on the spot. Uh, well, first mistake might have been killing her husband. Yeah, right, right. But anyway, <laughs> when they analyzed the data on her watch when she said she was sleeping, right? So if you're sleeping, you're not moving around the house, your heart rate should be at the lowest that it is for the course of the day, right? Instead of that, what the tracker showed was that she was going from room to room of her house. Her heart rate was very much elevated, and it was about two hours or so of this kind of activity before she then made the phone call to 911, calling the police, claiming that there was a break-in. And then they interrogated her on this and concluded that she spent that time both fighting with her husband murdering her husband, staging the murder to make it look like somebody broke in, and then calling the police. So her own fitness tracker became the leading witness against her. You would also think that his fitness tracker would also have an elevated heart rate while he's fending her off, fighting for his life, until all of a sudden it stops. And, uh, you know, so we can can take our cell phones, and when we leave here and we drive uh, downtown Atlanta, we're going to pass, what, five or six cell towers? Well, all of those pings can be timeline when we passed each cell tower therefore you can re-engineer what speed you were traveling uh gps satellites are showing where our cars are at the moment prior to an accident so when we reconstruct these things we get google earth photos there's a very interesting case that i'm aware of husband and wife had synced their workout watches whatever you want to call them and uh, one of them was away on business allegedly out of town and the other one noticed that about 2.30 in the morning, their partner's heart rate was uh, very rapid. <laughs> very, very, you know, Maybe much more. Maybe you couldn't more, sleep. Maybe yeah. you couldn't sleep went to the gym. He's down at the gym on the treadmill. Well, I often do burpees before bed or I wake up and try to, you know, do some jumping jacks and then go back to sleep. Right. Well, <laughs> Get your heart rate up as you're trying to go to right. sleep. Right? That makes perfect sense. And, of course. and this led to a divorce. And that, on your day in court, you know, the theme of our show, we were talking earlier about, well, when, when Bruce and I were both young lawyers back in the 80s, just to get a simple photograph, a photograph of an intersection, a photograph of a car or of a gun that everyone agrees was involved in this case. There's mm-hmm. no issue about it. The chain of custody, what you had to do to get that into evidence and get it to the jury so they could consider it, was just if you didn't do the 10 questions exactly right, the other counsel made an objection, you had to come to the bench, you had to start it all over again, and the jury's sitting there, can't we just see the picture already? You know, right. Nowadays, we have judges who are much younger than us. They've grown up with technology. Text messages are coming into evidence. Emails come right into evidence. You don't have to have someone from Apple come and testify how the machine works and how we, you don't need Bill Gates to show how, right. you know, Microsoft well, One he's works. Busy right now. Yeah, he, he is. He's, he got, time he's to go got his own text messages <laughs> problems, right. apparently. So it's much easier. So for everyone out there, we are all making a trail, whether it's payment trail with our PayPal or our debit card, which has been very easy. But now we're making these electronic trails of photographs, text messages, emails, Snapchats, and we lawyers are able to get this evidence into court. By the way, even if that's not the way you get caught doing something, in today's world, people give up themselves, right? I mean, look how many people got charged from the January 6th attack at the Capitol based on photos that they posted of themselves doing something illegal. Right. And so they turn themselves in. I do almost exclusively personal injury cases, right? That's my thing. And so a lot of times the plaintiffs 
who are claiming an injury are concerned that is somebody surveilling me, right? Is the insurance company sent out somebody to spy on me? And I tell them that I said, you know what? If this we were having this conversation 20 years ago, I'd say, yeah, they do that. I said, now they don't need to because you're on Facebook. They're just going to look at yeah. your Facebook and you're going to tell them everything that, that yeah. they need to know. Old so, school, you'd see a white panel van in front of your house that was trying to film you shooting baskets in your driveway while you were alleging you had a bad back from an auto accident. Right. Nowadays, right. they're looking at your Facebook or whatever Instagram that you're in Hawaii on vacation surfing and you took your collar off your neck because yeah, <laughs> you right. know, you're C6, you C7 herniated <laughs> right. disc. And, and, and so it's not hard to get that sort of information admitted into court now. You know, what Ray was talking about with photographs, our courts are governed by rules of evidence. Mm -hmm. And rules of evidence are designed to make sure that the information that a jury sees is vetted and is fair and meets the standards that we establish that to say that this is what is required for something to be acceptable in court. The jury doesn't have to believe it, but just to even be allowed in for them to look at, right? And so people know hearsay and, and they're familiar with that word. Nobody knows what it is necessarily. A lot of trial lawyers really don't even know what it is and there's so many exceptions, but that's an example of, mm -hmm. of a rule of evidence. So when it comes to things like technology, yeah, a simple photograph, it used to be a real challenge, uh, even to go back to having to say who took the photograph, which you may not know, right? There, here's a picture of these two people together from five years ago who claim that I never met them before in my life. Well, here's the picture of you together. Who took it doesn't really matter. What matters right. is, is it true? Is it fair and accurate? Does it reasonably, reasonably depict what it's showing in the picture. Now we get images off of Google Earth, Google Images, anywhere off the internet. And so even up to 10 years ago, you'd have to go out to San Francisco and take a deposition of some technology some engineer, person at yeah. Google to say that this is how Google acquires these pictures, this is how they're timestamped, this picture has an accurate date and stamp on it and location identifier based on GPS. And so it does validly show what it purports to show. Yeah, and how this equates to your day in court as we're now coming to where we have younger judges. And when I say younger judges, I mean very qualified folks in their 40s, okay, that have grown up with the technology. They're at the bench looking things up on Google during the trial so they can self-educate themselves. We've got monitors, so they're seeing the same pictures and the text messages. Our jury pool you know, if you went back 20 years ago and, and had a 12-person jury, there might have been six or seven of them who have never either sent and received an email, mm -hmm. let alone understand how mm -hmm. it works or the, or the weight of evidence that they should give it credibility. So things are changing rapidly. And what that means is, as Bruce really pointed out, you can really hurt your case, maybe just by using your thumbs improperly. I've got a, a stalking case right now. Client was had issued been issued a temporary protective order by the court. Stay away from your now ex-wife. No phone calls, no flowers, don't drive by her house. Well, two o'clock in the morning he feels like he should apologize and I'm sorry, I've always loved you. Best of luck. Technically that is a violation of the protective order. Now, sure. we were able to work that out, but so simple and so easy to use your thumbs uh, or to make a TikTok video where you've got some bad piece of evidence in the background, oh, yeah. okay, oh, yeah. or something embarrassing, which we're seeing more of as well. And the other side, too, of that is that it's very easy to manipulate images. And so, um, you know, anybody who's point. talented and knows their way around Photoshop 
can do that. You know, this came to our view, I think, when uh, we were having those nothing but net commercials, right? Like, yes. uh, you know, guys are swishing every shot from the top of the bleachers and because they. Or Kobe Bryant jumping over a moving <laughs> car. You know, at some point you realize that, okay, it's easy enough to manipulate images and what we think looks real mm-hmm. is really not real. Again, th- there has to be some validity measures to allow pictures into evidence and even video evidence photography evidence can be challenged. There are markers. You know, nobody is so perfect at this that they don't leave behind markers of evidence. But in a typical case where somebody doesn't have, uh, you know, the world's greatest forensics expert, you know, not everything is CSI. The stuff that people see on TV and expects to happen doesn't really happen on mm-hmm. most cases. Those are extraordinary Yeah, you know, it's a incidents. TV show. And, 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 you know, these are people with unlimited budgets and yeah. time and resources who right. can solve any complex problem. In and and the point t- is the show <laughs> is that they do solve it. Right. And, you know, in the real world where Ray and I practice law and we could take cases to court all the time, it just doesn't happen like that, except in the rarest of occasions. More often than not, it's a very simple process. And, and the technology aspect of things has made it simpler because you can really just skewer people with their own actions from GPS and uh, you don't really have to dig like that. I think, though, as a lawyer, what it's taught us to do is we really have to expand our our understanding of how much information is possibly out there. So about a year ago, I was able to disprove a burglary accusation against my client, prove that he was innocent by capturing the ring video of a home about two houses away from the alleged burglary occurred. I had to track down. We did a little footwork, got out there. The folks were nice. They let us look at their video, and it showed a completely different car and a completely different person breaking into the home in question. Well, you know, that's law enforcement's problem, and they should have done a better job, but that's how I earn my keep, and that's how Bruce earns his keep, by getting the black box information from the speeding tractor trailer and showing that it was doing 77 and a 55, and therefore led to the accident. Tuck, I'll give you another real-world example uh, that involves... Uh, a fitness app. So a lot, I, I represent a lot of injured bicyclists mm-hmm. and, and that's really a, a niche. My practice is helping people who ride bikes when they get hurt. You know, the way people drive around Atlanta and disrespect yes, you cyclists. Could, you can um, understand how there, it would there, happen. There's a, unfortunately a lot of work for me. And I say, unfortunately, because I ride bikes and mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want my wife to be a nervous wreck every time I leave the house. But so a lot of us who ride bikes use an app called Strava. Strava is used by runners. It's used by cyclists, a fitness app that, that has GPS component to it. It will map your route. Um, it'll show speed. It'll show distance. It'll show elevation gained. It's it's really pretty robust in the information that's on there. But another feature that it has is a flyby feature that will show you who else is using Strava in the area where you are. Almost like a Waze a little bit, so you can connect with people and, hey, you better slow down. There's a police officer up here. That kind of thing when you're driving, because that's what Waze does. Correct. And it shows you who else is out there and identifies them by their Strava name, which most people are using their regular names on Strava. So we had a case for a guy who was riding a bike with a friend on the Silver Comet Trail, very popular Mm -hmm. area that runs from Smyrna all the way to the Alabama line. And they're riding at a, a 14 to 15 mile an hour pace. How do we know this? They've got Strava, shows 14, 15 mile an hour pace, which on a bike, on, on the Silver Comet Trail is a comfortably moving pace. You're, it's not slow like you're just sort of riding with a small child, but you're moving. This guy tells me that he gets hit by another person on a bike who came flying by him and the guy's elbow caught my client, knocked him down. He broke his collarbone, broke his arm. He says, and the guy just kept going. He says, and the, and the look I had at him, I could tell a couple of things about him. He was on a triathlon bike triathlon bikes are 
built a little bit differently. Okay. He was wearing a kit, you know, a, a cyclist kit, and he was going fast. So what do I do, um, knowing what I know about bicyclists and bicycle behavior? I say, are you on Strava? Of course he is. I looked at Strava. I do the flyby feature. Sure enough, here comes somebody else running Strava that you can see their movement, gaining on this guy, coming up on him from behind, and then passing him and continuing on right past him and right at that spot where he passes him my client's ride ends Ends because that's where he fell right the next time you see him he still had his strava on the next time you see him he's going 60 miles an hour on the way to uh the hospital (laughs) right because he was in the ambulance he he, he forgot to turn it off but it shows him stopped right at that spot so now i have this person's name i go on to facebook sure enough it's a guy on his triathlon bike um I know some all the people. details line up. It's all out there, and so I send him a very friendly letter. Um, hey, you know, it's by my understanding that you may have been involved in an incident. Blah blah blah. Please get in touch. We'd like to talk to you about it. Right. I got no response from the friendly letter. My second letter wasn't quite as friendly and was more explaining. Like, we know that this was you. Here's how we know it's you. I, here's pictures of this showing that I know it's you. And before this goes any further and becomes really bad for you, you need to report this to your insurance company and let us go on with it. And so, you know, here's an example where my client's uh, use of this Strava app was the only way we were able to identify who the at-fault party was. And the only way we could identify the at-fault party was because his use of the same right, app testified right. against him. Yeah, it's fascinating, right? You, I mean, you, it, did it, you did that in an interesting way that I don't think a lot of lawyers would have done. I don't mean necessarily your your capture of the technology, but you gave this fella the opportunity to do the right thing, where just a lot of lawyers would have let him deny it, file suit, let the insurance company's lawyer deny everything, and then you file pass it across. Yeah. You, you push it over across the table at mediation settlement, and all of a sudden, but but it I, crossed my mind. And, yeah. and I and the reason I did it that way is because I represent cyclists and I know cyclists, and this is another one, and we need to police our own. But I also felt like I'm going to give this guy the opportunity to um, just confess. Maybe, to come clean. Maybe, maybe he has another story on <clears throat> it. Like, I was going so fast and I just didn't realize anything happened. Maybe he's got another story. There was no other story. A, a quick war story, and I do some plaintiff's cases, not as many as Bruce does. But we had a case recently where a very nice elderly woman was crossing the street. She was not where she should have been. She was sort of cutting through parks parking spots Mm -hmm. but she was backed over by a a nice a really nice guy quite frankly who was backing into that parking spot um you know you see that a lot in atlanta people back into spots well he he ran her over and he alleged he didn't see her but we got his technology he was in a very expensive brand new porsche that has cameras everywhere every angle and we were able to get to it with what's called a spoilation letter so just for those who are listening what that means is when we lawyers get one of these cases and folks should come to us immediately we can send a letter out to whom we think is the opposing party and say don't spoil any evidence freeze it preserve it videotapes log books it could be it doesn't always have to be all this electronic stuff Mm -hmm. and if they don't do that if the defendant doesn't keep the evidence even if it's harmful to them there's can be penalties like striking their answer or sanctions from the court and a presumption that the failure to preserve this evidence means that it wasn't good for you right and that's why you didn't do it wow and so that that is spilling over into technology yeah and that presumption so so cut ahead three years down the road you're at trial now the jury hears that they were served with this 
preservation of evidence letter, a spoliation letter, and they didn't preserve the evidence. So, jury, you can presume that the evidence that would have been shown to you would have been negative to the party who destroyed the evidence. That's sometimes better than actually seeing. I, I don't disagree right? with you. Uh, and and again, just going back to this theme of a different generation of judges, a different generation, a younger generation of jurors. They all kind of know, hey, that was pretty easy. You could have saved that. Yeah. This is not that big a deal. It's not yeah. like you had all these documents up in the tobacco warehouse in North Carolina that burned down. And, <laughs> right. I'm sorry. That, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but it also highlights why you need an experienced lawyer who knows what to ask for, knows sure. what to do right from the beginning. And do it promptly. And do it promptly. And, and, and you know, folks, I, look, I have a lot of folks that I represent who probably are like the listeners here who the first thing they tell me is like, I'm not somebody who wants to file suit. You know, I think there's too many lawsuits and, 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 and okay, that's fine, but you need to act right away. And, and, and this is one of the main reasons. And, and the hardest conversations I have sometimes are with grieving family members who've just oh, wow. suffered a catastrophic loss and they need time to process their grief and to bury their loved ones and to do all the things you do when somebody is killed um, or if somebody is in the hospital with a serious injury and you're attending to them, mm-hmm. right? They need to focus on that. They don't need to focus on the investigation of the potential case, but there will come a time, and it might be in two weeks, but it might be a, a year down the road, where they're going to say, we really need to turn our attention to this case. You know, this is so unfair. Our lives are so altered forever because of this. We want justice. And if you hire the right lawyer like me or Ray to do this for you right away. You can go on and deal with your grieving process, deal with your caretaking process, whatever it is, knowing that that investigation is being done promptly and correctly. The evidence is being obtained, is being preserved without having to think that, okay, a year later, I'm going to try to find this and now it can't be. Right. Yeah. I completely understand where you're coming from. In that moment, they just want to move on. It's been so bad. It's been so traumatic. They just want to put it behind them. And oftentimes, it's not until later when they're a little more clear of thought that they run across what you're talking about, that justice should be served. And some people will say, I don't want to sue that nice person. It was an accident. But no, we need to file suit because once you file a lawsuit, you have the subpoena power. You can take depositions. You can file interrogatories, requests for production of documents, spoilation letters and procedures. Uh, a lawsuit is a very powerful instrument and allows a case to get preserved and get on the right footing. In Georgia, there's generally a two-year statute of limitations for most injury cases. It can be four years for things like consortium claims, property damage, and other things. Is that right? Am I, am I got that right? Yeah, it's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> two okay. years. Focus on the two years. That's not two years. But, so, but even there, if, if there's a government entity involved, yeah, it could it's be much shorter, less. And there are notice requirements that uh, have to be done in a timely manner if you're claiming something against a city or county representative or, or state. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really do need to act quickly. Um, and, and look, Ray and I deal in some awful um, stories, and we have to. Um, talk to people when they're at low points in their lives. But I had a conversation with uh, the mother of a 30-year-old who was run down and killed as a pedestrian in a hit-and-run incident in May of 2019. And I spoke to her shortly after that, and I sent her a detailed letter about the things that needed to get done right away. And then I never heard from her. You know, I followed up, never heard from her. Again, um, her son, the last conversation she had with him was Mother's Day of 2019, Mm. um, saying, I love you, Mom, and and that was it. Well, we just got past Mother's Day. She called me up 
the day after Mother's Day 2021, just before the two years uh, expired on the statute of limitations there, to say that I'm ready to move forward. This is just, you know, this has been such an awful weekend and everything came back to me and um, I want to move forward. And all the, you know, I said, look, I'm, I only wish we could have, have had this conversation two years ago, but we'll get on and we'll do what we can. And we filed it the next day because um, she at least finally came to. Yeah. We could have done a lot more in terms of canvassing all these businesses on sure. that area to try to get video. Hopefully the police did that. From what I've seen, they haven't done a great job of mm. it. Um, but, you know, we'll be able to help her, uh, even though it was a little bit untimely. Right, but, I mean, there's cameras in the intersections now. For uh, Georgia State Patrol has cameras if they come to the scene of an accident. Uh, body cameras on police officers. Yeah. Roadways change in Metro Atlanta a lot. A so lot. what the roadway looked like two years ago at the yeah. time of the accident, oh not just gosh. in its width or the, or the type of, but the lay of the road. Is it, is it has been repaved? Are the skid marks gone? Right. So yeah, want to get on these there's things. a lot of things you have to do right away. And sometimes you have to think, think them through. Sometimes you need to reach out to somebody to help you think them through. That's when you reach out to Ray or Bruce. Either one can help you out. And uh, we'll tell you in the next segment how to get a hold of them. And we're going to talk about this craziness that's going on in Atlanta with the gas shortage and the Colonial Pipeline ransomware and how that's affecting businesses and people. We'll continue that conversation next here on Extra 106.3. This is your day in court. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back. Final segment of Your Day in Court. Bruce Hagen, Ray Judice. My name is Tug Coward on Extra 106.3. I want to talk about something that happened late last week and, and continues a little bit through this weekend, and that is the Colonial Pipeline and the ransomware story that caused a gas shortage here in Atlanta and then across the southeast, really. What do companies do? Because my, my son and I were talking about this. He was like, can't they just find somebody to do a reverse hack on this? You know, he thinks completely differently than I do. Well, they're probably going to have a real difficult problem unless the National Security Council or the CIA or somebody can get into some basement or warehouse in uh, in Russia and find uh, 
Putin's buddies who are doing these kind of things or North Korea or Iran or all these, you know, nation states that are spending a lot of time and resources and learning how to steal stuff, Mm -hmm. whether it's intellectual uh, property or financial information or medical. Apparently, the Chinese have taken something like 190,000 million social security numbers and Mm -hmm. medical records. Why they want that, we don't know. But there's this data mining going on. But these guys are crooks and they'll hold up the company. Pipelines used to be opened up just like railroad tracks switches a little guy stayed in the shed and he got a call or a telegraph open up the pipeline he went out there with a wrench and he turned to the big you know the big wheel now it's all done by computers and that's what keeps this oil and gas and electricity flowing well let's bring it down to a local level because my mom up in dalton georgia called me this morning and we're out of gas i don't have gas anywhere there's one place that has it and on the pump no longer said 287 it said 450 are there any protections for people like my mom and, and people that are searching for gas? Yeah, and a lot of that is handled at the state level uh, where there are consumer protections and protections against price gouging. Governor Kemp issued some sort of an emergency order, I believe, in the... Relaxing uh, the taxes on... Yeah, well, even eliminating them temporarily, the state taxes on, on gas to try to help. To some extent, you know, gas prices are always governed by free market and, mm-hmm. and supply and demand basic economics, and gas stations make a very small markup on mm-hmm. each gallon of gas. But, you know, you get in a shortage like this, and it's not uh, unique to gasoline, right? Because we've seen it when there's a tornado or hurricane come through and lumber, lumber prices, prices go through yeah. the roof. There's, it's one thing if it's just market fluctuations. It's another thing when it's an improper attempt to just take advantage of a temporary shortage where there's a, a need for your product and people just have no conscience or morality or ethics about it and charge what they charge. And so there are laws against that sort of thing. Most of it is ad hoc on an emergency basis basis, which is what we saw here this week with Governor Kemp. Yeah, but usually those laws are designed for Hurricane Abigail is hitting the right. Florida coast, and right. all of a sudden, the local lumber shop has jacked up plywood 10 times, or bottled water, or you know all the things that people are, we know we're going to need. This is not really a natural disaster. I mean, it is a disaster because uh, this company and our and our government have not protected us as a society, I think, equally well enough for this disaster. What was it? The solar winds attacked Out just several Texas. months ago, right? I mean, well, look, our, uh, our government uh, was a victim of a yeah. huge cyber attack last year by the Russians. The city of Atlanta has been the victim yeah. of ransomware. I mean, the courts were shut down because of ransomware. In right? fact, I've been affected by that with literally hundreds of DUI cases and other criminal cases where the videotapes were lost because the computer system was held as mm. ransom. So for, for those cases were frozen for years and then the, the material, the information was just lost. What about a company like Equifax? We were talking about this earlier. When they get hacked and your information is taken, what responsibility do they have? What is it that you can do to protect yourself? Sure. And so, um, you know, look, we've got some very sophisticated criminals out there engaging in dangerous behavior with techniques that are constantly evolving, right? But there's also an enormous industry for cybersecurity. And there's a duty that every company has to take reasonable measures to make sure that their data is protected and secure from these kind of criminal attacks and to constantly stay up on it, right? If you're exercising to the ultimate level of diligence 
that duty and you're trying to protect and preserve your confidential information or whatever you do. You know, Ray and I as lawyers have a duty to protect sure. the, the integrity and, and, and secrecy of our files. Doctors, you see this a lot. Mm, um, everybody's got this obligation here to, to protect that. If you're fulfilling that duty to a reasonable measure, then there's likely not going to be some accountability if a criminal comes along and hacks you just like if you ran an apartment complex and you are providing legitimate security to the residents that's in keeping with um, the nature of where your complex is and the crime levels around there. If some criminal comes along and, and commits a criminal act, you're going to be protected from responsibility. Whereas if you don't have that kind of security at the apartment complex and again, we'll come back to foreseeability, there's a crime that occurs, you very likely will be responsible for the harm caused to your resident. It's just like that with a business. And so you see shareholder lawsuits, you see consumer lawsuits like with Equifax. You know, as Ray said, the subpoena power is very powerful and you can dig into what happened underlying it all. It doesn't always mean that that a company is wrong because they very well might be doing everything that they can and are still victims. Well, Bruce brings up a really important phrase in our profession, which is the standard of care. And the standard of care affects all kinds of cases, medical malpractice cases. What is the standard of care in a big city hospital versus a rural hospital? I mean, for emergency surgery, that can change. And if that hospital out in the country and has limited resources met its general standard of care for that community, then they may not have a, you know, they'll have a good defense. Here, the standard of care, I think, is shifting rapidly. So you have a duty to maintain and keep increasing your defenses. I mean, the, the recent hack of the United States government by the Russians was because these criminals got into what's called legacy computers. In other words, 20-year-old computer systems that have no protective software. So they snuck in there and then worked their way, you know, up mm. through the, the computer right. arteries until right. they got to the gold mine. Right. And so what was the liability on those companies down at the bottom of the food chain to have, you know, 20-year-old computers that had green and orange, yeah. you right. know? It's like, hey, I'm running the Norton Antivirus 97. Yeah, you right. No, you're right. And, it, and, and it's a constantly evolving scale of what that standard of care is, particularly in a field like this where the technology changes every so and often. And you're on notice now. Yeah. Everybody should be yeah. on notice. Every big company in this country, after, especially after what's going on here, says, hey, wait a second. You mean some kids and their, you know, teenagers in their pajamas in the Ukraine can shut down the, the, <laughs> the gas and oil flow yes. for the half of the United States of America? Yeah, they can. Yeah. Allegedly, the Chinese flicked on and flicked off the power grid a couple of years ago just to let us know that they, could, they could. And I bet they can. Yeah, it's, it's frightening. But it's funny because, like I said, my son being younger and realizing what the capabilities are, he was like, why don't they just hire somebody to, <laughs> to, do, to do the opposite, reverse hack it? Well, it is not, I think it has not been our national policy to be on the offensive right. in this. But we're going to have to. But I think we're going to have yeah. to. And we're going to have to let some folks know that we can get to them. Power grid, waters, you're exactly right, man. That's that's really, really frightening. They, they need to turn the world over to kids like yours. I, I saw war games. I, I know how it works. You know? Yeah, right. It's all, <laughs> get, get, get these kids in video games and let them figure it out. I just looked and at Chick-fil-A will. people and it because, man, they, they know. They, they, <laughs> they, right. As far as I'm concerned, right, man, whoever's get, running Chick-fil-A can run the government for that's me. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. They run everything really, really well. That's it for your day in court. Quickly, uh, guys, how do people get in touch with you? Bruce at Hagen-Law.com. Easy email. You can call me 404-522-7553, 24 hours a day. 
Myself, 404-964-4185. My last name, G-I-U-D is in David, I-Z-E-Judice. It's Italian. It means judge. Google me. I've got a lot of video on there from my old CNN Nancy Gray shows. There you go. Get a hold of these guys if you're ever in a situation where you need legal expertise. They can provide it. Thank you so much for listening. You do. Thank you so much for listening to Your Day in Court here on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands, an easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com.